Well, good morning, church. Man, it's so good to gather together this morning again as we celebrate uh, this Christmas season. If you've been with us the last uh, couple of weeks, you know uh, that we're in the middle of a series we're calling The Best Christmas Ever. If, if you haven't been with us, if this is your, your first time here this Sunday, I know we have some, some people in the house that are visiting for the first time. We're glad you're here. Some of our college kids are home. We're so glad that, that you're home and you're back with us. And what we're wanting to do through this, uh, this season, through this Christmas season, every time we gather, is just to simply ask that question. What would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever for you? What is it? If, if something could change, if something could be different, what would it be that could make this Christmas the best Christmas ever for you? And, and in terms of your spiritual life, we started a couple of weeks ago and we asked this question. Maybe the, maybe the thing that could change for you, maybe what needs to change for you is the simple fact that it's time for you to move out of whatever darkness you're in and step into the light of Christ. Maybe it's time for you to, to confess that sin you've kept secret with a brother or a sister in Christ and step out of that present darkness into this light of Christ that we're talking so much about during this season. Or like last week, maybe the thing that needs to change for you, maybe, maybe you need to let Jesus be Lord of your life. Maybe you made that confession, Jesus is Lord, but maybe it's time that you start living into that confession. Maybe it's not just confessing Jesus as Lord, but making Jesus Lord. And, and that's something we're going to spend the rest of our lives doing. I get that. But maybe it's time to bring some part of your life that's outside the Lordship of Jesus Christ back under the reign of Christ. I don't know what it is for you. Today we want to step into that question again and ask that question again. It, what could make this Christmas the best Christmas ever for you? And I want to start with this question. And it's really another simple question, but it's a profound question. And it's, it's this question. What do you do, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? You may or may not be aware of this, but at the end of every year, uh, there's, there's lots of different websites or apps even that provide the Bible online. Some of you use these things. We use them here at Riverside. Uh, and, and at the end of every year, uh, they're really good to kind of share what was the most popular Bible verse you know, uh, on their website or on their app. And so I don't know how many of you use these different websites. One of the ones I use every year or every day almost is called BibleGateway.com. It's one of the popular websites. And almost every year, it's one of two verses that always takes the prize as the most popular, the most highlighted, the most bookmarked, the most shared verse. And it's always one of these two verses. It's either Jeremiah 29, 11, or can you guess the other one? John three sixteen, right? Uh, maybe you know these verses. If not, I'll just share them with you real quick. You probably know John 3.16. John 3.16 is when Jesus encounters a man by the name of Nicodemus in the night. And Jesus says these words to Nicodemus. They're powerful words. You know these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Every year, that's one of the top two, if not the top verse, that's liked, shared, highlighted, favorited by different people online. The other one is Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. We like that verse. We like what that verse says about God. We like what that verse says about us. And there's truth in that verse that God desires good for you. It's another good verse. It's one that, that people love to share and put on their, you know, on their mirrors in the morning. And on the way in the, they're driving to work, they have it. They, they share that on their social media. It's a, it's a good verse. But this year, there was another website or popular Bible app that found a different verse that took the cake. 
Some of you use Uversion. We use the app. It's a it's a it's a it's an online Bible app. If you don't have it, I would encourage you to download it. It's a it's a free download on any of your devices. It's called the Uversion Bible app. And in fact, uh, if you're here at Riverside, I really want to encourage you to get this app because what you some of you know this already. If you have this app, then you can follow along every Sunday with our messages, with the notes. You'll find all the scriptures there. And just to take a, a quick minute to show you how to do it, if you open up the app, it's really easy. In the bottom right-hand corner, you click on the button that says More. That'll take you to the next page where it says Events. Click on Events. And then guess what? Every Sunday, Riverside pops up is probably the top, you know, top selection because you're here. It, it does it by where you are. Click on that, and you can follow along with us every Sunday right there in the Uversion Bible app. The Uversion Bible app was one of the very first apps in the App Store when Apple launched the App Store in, in its early beginnings. It's been downloaded over 350 million times. It's, down, it's been downloaded in every country on the planet. And every year they release their report of what was the most highlighted, what was the most popular, what was the most shared, what was the most liked verse in the Uversion Bible app. You know what it was this year? It wasn't Jeremiah 29.11. It wasn't even John 3.16. It was Isaiah 41.10. You may be thinking, what in the world does Isaiah 41.10 say? Well, let me just share it with you. It says this. It says, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Now, I want you to think about those words in that verse for a moment as you reflect on 2018. In 2018, in the United States of America and around the world, this was the most popular, the most highlighted, the most shared, the most liked Bible verse for you version that's been downloaded in every country on the planet over 350 million times countless people have liked and shared and highlighted this verse about fear don't be afraid for I am with you don't be discouraged for I am your God I will strengthen you and help you I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand the word of God for people who are living in fear. That's interesting, isn't it? In 2018, maybe the one of the most common emotions, one of the things, problems people look to God the most for is what do, what do we do with fear? It, it's something that every person on the planet has to contend with. What do you, what do, you do when you're afraid? Where do you turn? Where do you look? What do you do when, when things aren't the way they're supposed to be? What, what do you do with the reality that we, we live in a broken world and in every country on the continent, in every place around the world, there are people who are dealing with the reality that things aren't going so well. And because the future is uncertain, because we don't know what's around the next turn, because we don't know how things are going to work out, we just live in a constant state of fear. And the reality is, and you know this because you're living this too, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes, sometimes work is hard. Sometimes marriage is hard. Sometimes 
Raising kids is hard. Sometimes having kids is hard. Sometimes, sometimes being a parent is hard. Sometimes being a grandparent is hard. Sometimes taking care of my aging parents is hard. Sometimes the reality is stuff is hard. Sometimes being single is hard. Sometimes money is tight. Sometimes people get sick. Sometimes we lose the ones we love. Things are hard, and things don't always go the way they're supposed to go. And sometimes things happen out of the blue, and we didn't expect it. And what do you do when you don't know what to do? Where do you turn when you're afraid? And what I'm not going to do today, just so you know, is I'm not going to tell you, just trust in Jesus and don't be afraid anymore. Because you know what the truth is? The truth is it's normal to feel fear. It's normal to be scared. And here's the good news for a lot of you is it doesn't make you less spiritual if you're feeling fear today. It doesn't mean that you trust in God less if you're living in a current reality, in a current situation where you're afraid of whatever's going to happen next or maybe what is actually happening now. That doesn't make you less spiritual. That doesn't make you any farther from God. The truth is it's a normal human emotion to be afraid sometimes, and I want you to know that. In fact, you know what the truth is? That we're walking through in these days the story of, of the, the, the Christmas story, the story of when Jesus came from heaven to earth. And when you read through the story, it, you can miss this because we've read it a thousand times, but it's there that every person present in the Christmas story is dealing with some kind of fear. Fear is present for every person present in the Christmas story, in the story of when Jesus came from heaven to earth. In your scriptures, in your Bible, there's actually two different accounts of this story, of the the birth of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at how how this man named Luke told part of the story, and we're going to look again at at his account tonight. So I really do want to invite you to to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. It's going to be an incredible time, our candlelight worship, as we we light our candles and as we sing songs of praise to to the light of the world. It's going to be incredible. I hope you'll come back tonight for a really special time um, here in this place. But this morning, I want us to look at Matthew's account. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you can open up to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. Matthew, again, he's one of Jesus' very first disciples, one of the first followers of Jesus Christ. And he writes this story, this account of the life, the birth, the ministry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, I want you to listen to how Matthew tells this part of the story. He said, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, they're engaged, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, if you just pause the story right here, you may have some questions, right? You may be wondering, okay, this Matthew's like packing a lot and did just a couple of sentences, but how, how did Joseph find out that Mary was pregnant? How did that go down? I mean, did, uh, did, 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 did Mary come home one day and, and, and her parents realized, oh, no, our daughter's pregnant and somebody's got to tell Joseph? I mean, I can just imagine how that phone call went, you know. Joseph, this is Mary's father. 
We need to talk. Can I buy you coffee? You know, <laughs> like, how is this going to go down? Did, 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 how did Joseph find out? Did Mary come and tell him? Did she try to explain? Listen, I had this, this, this visit from an angel, uh, the angel Gabriel. You know Gabriel. We've heard stories about Gabriel. Yeah, I saw Gabriel, and he told me I was going to become pregnant. I promise I haven't broken our vows, Joseph, and, but I am with child. And, and you got to be honest, like, even for the most devout, religious spiritual, God-fearing, God-honoring, devout person, this is a bit of a tough story to buy, right? What's, what's Joseph going to do? I don't know how he found out. I don't know what part of this he was having trouble with. Maybe the whole thing. It'd be a, a lot to swallow. What is Joseph going to do? What is Joseph, who by all accounts is a righteous man? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Maybe... Uh, Maybe Joseph can somehow quietly dissolve this marriage that's about to happen. Help Mary get set up and taken care of in a different place. Maybe after time she'll be okay and her child will be okay. And maybe after some time he'll be okay. Maybe he can even go on and and marry someone else and have the life that he planned because this is not quite the way he thought things were going to go. What's Joseph going to do in this moment? What can he do in this moment? This is what Matthew says happened next. In verse 20, it's these four words in this translation says this. As he considered this. I want to just pause. There's a comma there. I want to pause for a moment. Because Joseph, here's what he didn't do. He didn't react. You know what happens when you get news you didn't expect is so often, so many of us, including myself, when things don't go the way they were planned, when things don't happen the way that we thought that they would, what we do is, is we react in the moment. And Joseph would have had every right by human standards, by the expectations of his culture and of his people to have a strong negative reaction to the fact that his engaged to soon to be wife is now having a pre-marriage pregnancy, and he doesn't have any idea how this happened. Joseph could have had that strong reaction because in their time, in their day, in their culture, to be engaged was part one of a two-part marriage process, but to be engaged, to be betrothed, to be promised to each other, that was as binding as marriage, and you don't break those vows. But it appears that Mary did. What's Joseph going to do? He could have reacted in the moment, and no one would have faulted him for it, but he didn't. Matthew says that Joseph considered, is it time to respond? He slowed things down. Maybe the most spiritual thing you can do sometimes is just slow things down and take time to consider. Matthew says as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said, Joseph... Son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. What does the angel say to Joseph? We just read it, but you may want to underline this. You may want to write this down somewhere because I think this is huge. There's three things I want you to see that the angel said to Joseph that I think are of incredible significance. The angel starts 
by reminding Joseph of his identity. And then the angel tells him to not be afraid. And then the angel calls him to be obedient in the moment. Now I want you to think about those things. Some of the first words out of the mouth of the angel were these words, Joseph, son of David. It's a reminder of his identity. If you back all the way up to verse 1 of Matthew, chapter 1, where Matthew actually begins the story, Matthew gives this huge list of names, this genealogy. It's the, the family tree of Jesus. It's the, uh, it's the way the, the story of Jesus, the Messiah, was going to come from heaven to earth. It's the, it's the line from through, through which he would, he would come and he would be born. And so many of us, we open to Matthew 1, and if you're anything like me, you just skip those names and you get down to verse 18 where the story really starts because that's you know, the good stuff. These names, we can't pronounce half of them anyway, so who cares, right? But I want to back up into those just for a moment because I want you to see what Matthew's doing. And so some of these will be on the screen. Some of them I want you to to just hear. But I want you to hear what Matthew says in chapter 1, verse 1. Matthew starts his story actually this way. He says, this is a record of the ancestors. You need to see this. These are the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah. And the first thing he says is a descendant of David. He goes on, and of Abraham. And then he begins his, his family tree, his list. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. And the list goes on and on. But don't miss Matthew's point. This is the ancestry line of Jesus, the Messiah, who, oh, by the way, is a descendant of David. This, this, this would have been huge for Matthew's target audience, for the Jewish people to realize that, that, that Jesus came through the line of David. This is, this is the same David who was the last great king of Israel. This is, this is the one to whom Samuel, the prophet Samuel, actually said to David these words. And every person back in that time living in Israel would have known these words of Samuel when Samuel said to David hundreds of years before Christ came that when your days are complete... And you lie down with your fathers. I'm going to raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you. And I will establish his kingdom. This is the same David Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, talked about hundreds of years again before Christ came. When Isaiah said these words, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. Everybody knew. They didn't know when. They didn't know how. But they believed that when the Messiah was coming, it was going to come through somehow the family tree, the line of King David. And so Matthew continues the list. And just listen to the list and hear these words. So Judah, we'll pick up in in the next verse, was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, and then here it is, underline this part again, Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. There it is. There's the family tree, tracing all the way down to Jesse and now to his son, David. David, who had been the shepherd boy. David, who Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel and said, Jesse, are these all your boys? He had several, several boys standing there, but, but God didn't show Samuel that any of these boys was going to be the next king and Jesse's like well I got this I got one other I mean he's the youngest he's out keeping the sheep because that's what the youngest does I can go get him Samuel says yeah yeah, yeah go, go get him 
Samuel sees David coming. And somehow God lets, lets Samuel know that's, that's the one. That's David. That's going to be the next king. And Matthew says, here's the family tree all the way to that shepherd boy who became king, King David. David, who was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. We talked about King Ahaz a couple of weeks ago. We remember that story. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Verse 11, Josiah was the father of Jehoiachin, his brothers, born at the time of the, of the exile to Babylon. And after the, the Babylonian exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abiad. Abiad was the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadak. Zadak was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Iliad. Iliad was the father of Eleazar. And Eleazar was the father of Methan. Methan was the father of Jacob. And get this. I know you want to clap because I said all those names, but don't yet. Jacob was the father of Joseph. Now, that's important. Matthew doesn't say that David was the father of Joseph. Matthew says Jacob was the actual literal father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So Matthew gives the whole family tree, but then he says, Jacob was the, fam was the father of Joseph, but that's not what the angel said. The angel said that Joseph was the son of David. Why did the angel say that? Clearly, Matthew shows us Joseph's daddy was a man named Jacob. Well, there's two reasons, and you know the first. He calls Joseph a son of David because Joseph was literally a direct descendant of King David. So in a sense, he is the son of David in the sense that he is the direct descendant of King David. That's the obvious reason. We get that. But there's another reason that I think is of huge significance. He calls Joseph. He doesn't say Joseph, son of Jacob. He says Joseph, the angel says Joseph, son of David, because he wants to remind Joseph of his primary identity. In other words, Joseph. Son of David, son of the last great king of Israel, son of the same David that walked into the valley of Elah when the rest of Israel's armies were frozen in fear because of a giant that was in the valley yelling at them. And you walked down there with nothing but a slingshot and a stone and you approached that giant the same David that said these words in 1 Samuel 17, we love these words, I do at least. David said, you come against me to Goliath. You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And then with one shot, David kills Goliath and Goliath falls down. Joseph son of David, son of the giant killer. Joseph, son of David, the man who was known. We know his songs. We know all the, uh, all the prayers he prayed and all that he wrote. Uh, Joseph, son of David, the one who was known as a man after God's own heart. Joseph, this is your identity. This is who you are. 
If you want to live into your identity as some sort of small-time carpenter in a no-name town called Nazareth, guess what? you got a lot to be afraid of. But if you want to live into your identity, Joseph, as Joseph, son of David, Joseph, son of the giant killer, Joseph, son of, son of the man after God's own heart, then, then guess what? These next words apply to you because the next thing the angel said is, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But Joseph had a lot to be afraid of, right? I mean, first of all, Joseph is having an an encounter with an angel. And almost every time in Scripture you read about someone having some sort of face-to-face confrontation or encounter with an angel, every time they're terrified almost. Every time the angel, almost every time the angel has to say something like, don't be afraid, don't fear. Why? Because they are literally afraid. Now, we think of angels as, you know, beautiful beings full of light, singing awesome songs and just a sight to behold. But the truth is, in Scripture, anytime anyone encountered an angel, they were terrified. So the angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid. But that's not all Joseph has to be afraid of, right? You know this, right? Joseph is terrified not just because he's having a confrontation with an angel. Joseph is terrified because he's just found out that the woman who's going to be his wife is pregnant. And he didn't know. He really didn't know where this baby came from. He didn't know what's going on behind the scenes. He doesn't know how how, how this has happened. And he didn't know what to do next. And besides that, if he decides to stick with Mary and see this marriage through, then there's this other reality, right? Because now he's going to be a father. And any of you who've ever gotten that call or you've gotten that news that, oh, by the way, we're pregnant, you're going to be a dad. Oh, boy. (laughs) You know, there's a little bit of fear that comes over you all of a sudden. Now you got another mouth to feed. Now you got to figure out how to do all this thing about being an adult and being a dad and, and you know, being a, a husband and providing for your, your family that now includes more than one person. You got to figure all that out. I remember when Alicia and I were having our very first child when, when Will was going to be born and people were giving, giving me books about, you know, how to be a dad and, and I read them. Like I didn't read, but I was reading these books, right? Because I was afraid. I don't, I don't want to mess this up. Like, I need to know how to do this, you know? There's that natural fear. And not only that, but Joseph knows that if he steps into this marriage with Mary and he steps into this role as a father, then there's, I mean, there's the possibility of embarrassment. How do you explain this? There's going to be some shame. There's the fear of rejection and being shunned by their community of faith and their family. There's a lot to be afraid of in this moment. But the angel reminds Joseph of his primary identity. And he tells him to not be afraid. And then he says this. The angel calls Joseph to obedience. Matthew 1, verse 20. Joseph, son of David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew says, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, these are Isaiah's words, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, get this, after this encounter with the angel, when Joseph woke up, he did. He was obedient. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. 
but he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. In other words, Joseph did exactly what God asked him to do. He was obedient to everything God asked of him. He was obedient to God, and he was faithful to Mary. And because he was, we know what happens next. Jesus came. But have you ever thought about this? What if Joseph didn't? What if Joseph decided it would have been too much for him? What if, what if he decided he couldn't do it? What if he had turned and walked the other way? You know what the truth is? The truth is God would probably still have found a way to accomplish his mission and his will in the world. God would have figured that out. But the reality is, you and I, we would probably never know the name Joseph. We'd never know him. And that's, that's sad, but that's not really that big of a deal. The truth is, we know that Joseph was obedient, and we still don't know much about the guy, if we're being honest. The, the bigger tragedy is that if Joseph had walked the other way, if he had chosen not to be obedient, if he had chosen to live into his fear, if he had chosen to live into his identity as a small-time carpenter in a no-name town called Nazareth and just stick with that, the larger tragedy is he would never have known God's presence and God's provision in his life. And I want you to think about that. Because I think the same is true for you and me. That every time you decide to let fear win in your heart and in your life, you miss the opportunity to experience the peace and the presence and the provision of Jesus. Every time you allow fear to win in your heart and your life, you walk away from the opportunity to experience God's peace, God's presence, and God's provision in your life. And the truth is that may be where you are today. You may be, and we would all understand it, given your context, given your situation, given what you're going through, fear may be winning the day because of what's happening to you or around you, or maybe even because of you. There's a lot to be afraid of, and fear is winning right now. But I think the same thing that's true for Joseph is true for you. For all of you math people, you'll appreciate this. If you take this equation, I think it works. If you take your identity and you place it over fear, it's going to equal your behavior every time. Whatever identity you're going to live into, if you place that over whatever fear you're, you're living with right now, it's going to result equal. It's going gonna, it's gonna to give you, produce that behavior that you're experiencing in your life right now. And if you're locked up, tied up in your identity as, as a stay-at-home mom or as a, a guy that works in marketing or sales or as a business owner or as an employee or as a, a parent that's dealing with this situation or whatever, if you, if you take that identity, whatever identity that you hold on to, and you place that over your fear, it's going to give you exactly the results you're getting right now in your life. It's going to give you exactly the behavior you're living out right now. But if you, like Joseph, live into a different and better and truer identity, Joseph said of David, truth is you, you are sons of God. You are daughters of God. And when you place that identity over whatever fear is going on in your life, it's going to produce a whole different result. A 
whole different behavior. And people are going to ask you, how, how do you have such peace? I know what's going on in your world. Why are you so calm? How, how do you smile with such tragedy going on behind you? And you'll tell them, because I have a father. Because I know his name. Because I am a son. I am a daughter of the king of kings and the one who is called the prince of peace. And that identity over any fear you may face is going to help you live into an obedient life of doing whatever it is that God has called you to do. I think maybe what at least some of you need to hear today are these same words. To remember who you are. To renounce all fear. And to remain faithful to whatever God is calling you into. To remember your identity, that you are a son, you are a daughter of God. To hear the words of God say to you, do not be afraid. And then to live in obedience. Whatever the, the next right thing is, just do that. And then do it again and again. Live a life in obedience to your God. One of the many things I've learned of being a dad is this. Sometimes my kids get afraid, but I've found there's something that can take away their fear almost instantly, almost every time. You know what it is, don't you? It doesn't matter if it's something that goes bump in the night or if they've lost sight of me in the store and they don't know where I am and they get afraid all of a sudden. If they can turn and see their father, just the sight of their father takes all their fear away. Can you see your father? Is he near? you will fix your eyes on your father, if you remember who you are, then you don't, you may feel afraid, but you don't have to live into that fear. You see the difference? You can feel afraid, but you don't have to give in to fear. You can experience fear, but that doesn't have to reign in your heart and life. You can live from a different place, a truer place, a better place, a deeper place, a place of relationship with your heavenly Father. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. What would make this Christmas the best Christmas ever for us? What if we did this as a church? What if as a church, every time we gathered, we just remembered that this is who we are? We're not perfect, but we are sons and we are daughters of God and we are the family of God. And when we come together in this place, this is who we are. And so we can worship and we can sing and we can, we can let go of our cares and burdens because we come into a place where we remember this is exactly who we are. What if when we gathered, fear didn't rule in this room, in this place? What if we were unafraid? What if we not only remembered who we were, not only lived not out of fear, but from a better, truer, deeper place, but what if we also lived in full obedience to our Father. Maybe then we could live in a different place. Maybe then we could be a different kind of church. I know some of you are in the middle of some scary stuff right now, so I'm going to ask our shepherds and their wives to make themselves available around the room. And If you just need someone to encourage you, someone to, to, to be courageous for you, someone to lift you up and usher you into the presence of God, they would love to just pray with you and help you with whatever 
whatever you're dealing with today. But I'm going to close with these words, and then we'll sing this song together. And these words are the words of your Heavenly Father from Isaiah 41.10. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand.